0: My friend, I hope what you played is true with everyone here today. You know what she played, don't you? It's well with my soul. And uh, that's certainly the goal of John the Baptist with the religious, unbelieving people he was speaking to in John chapter 1. So let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 1 again and continue on with our study of an aspect of John the Baptist's life that Matthew... Mark and Luke do not include in their Gospels, but John is the last Gospel writer thought necessary to include for our understanding of this final prophet of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord Jesus Christ is born and appears in his public ministry. So, thank you. Is it well with your soul today? Amen. I didn't ask you if you're well fed. Didn't ask you if you slept well. Didn't ask you how life is going in general. Just asked you if it's well with your soul. That hymn writer, along with many other texts, would have our hearts be right with God, have our souls be at peace with God because our sins have been forgiven in Christ and we have turned our lives over to Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God then indwells us and becomes our comfort and our peace. There's not a lot of soul rest in our world these days. Our world can use an increasing dose of wonderful people like yourself who have rest in your souls, as the Lord Jesus himself offered in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. In a world that's in increasing unrest, it's not going to get more restful. You say, you're kind of a bummer messenger tonight or this morning, Pastor Tim. Well, you know, That's why we need to find rest for our souls because it can still be peace, be still with us as the world enjoys kind of living in restless, noisy waters. John the Baptist is the first prophet to speak in over 300 years. It's been silent from heaven been no revelation. The scriptures we have record for us no signs or wonders being done during this time through the centuries. Between the last time someone spoke the Lord's words in the Old Testament to the time of John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. And Isaiah we're told that in the fullness of time God would send forth a son born of a woman, born under the law and That son would be of Jewish descent, and he would be under the authority of the Mosaic system. But there's been nothing from heaven for quite some time. This providential delay, as we explained last week, of information from heaven, has caused a heightened anticipation among the Jewish people for messianic prophecies to be fulfilled. And this is the environment now under Roman domination in which Christ would be born into. But he would come as a carpenter to live and to die for man's sins and not yet as a king to rule the world. The voice of John the Baptist as prophesied in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3 is the sound from heaven that would break 300 years of silence from God. Because John preached at the command of God and because John the Baptist, governed by the Spirit of God, his message would be powerful and it would be influential. It would have the success the Lord would give to it. And we learned last week that he was quite successful. So influential was this first voice in some three centuries from god that jesus himself said in matthew chapter 11 and verse 11 of john the baptist jesus said amen i say to you among those born of women there has been none greater than john the baptist yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he in a short time john the Baptist's preaching was affecting thousands His preaching was one of repentance from your own sin and the necessity for you to place your faith exclusively in the Lord Jesus Christ so that you might have soul rest. His baptism would be for those who would have turned from their sin and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and surrendered their hearts to his lordship. For us, Peter said, blessed are those who have never seen yet believe john the baptist hearers and converts are somewhat the same but they would see jesus as john the baptist would remain faithful to his calling of preparing the way making the way straight for the lord you know before we dive back into our outline that we gave to you last week on this passage the interrogation, the explanation, and the exaltation of Christ that John the Baptist gives, I, I think it's important for us to consider a couple aspects of John's life and message that we can learn from. If you just spent an hour or two this afternoon, and you just got on all of your digital references of the scriptures, and you just searched out and learned the life of John the Baptist, you could, you could spend a long time learning various principles and truths from this man's life. I just want to go over two this morning that I hope will be encouraging to to all of us, and indeed, um, hopefully, instructive. In the background sketch of John the Baptist's life last time we were together, we learned that John the Baptist led a, a very simple life. Do you remember that? His clothes, his food, where he lived for 30 years. John the Baptist's simple life was simple because God had determined that it would be so. And it was influential because God determined it would be. You know, God has a desire for us too to be spiritually influential. It may not mirror the success of John the Baptist, but God has a plan. If you are in Christ, in God, then God's had a plan for you for actually thousands and thousands of years, in eternity past, before God even created the earth. Crazy to think about, right? The life you're living now in Christ is all by the grace of God, and as you walk with him, you are fulfilling the very purpose God has had for you, regardless of how materially simple your life is. I would encourage you to be content with what you have. Paul encourages us that way in Philippians 4. Be content with what you have. Embrace the simplicity that God's ordained for you for now. And even more passionately, embrace the purpose of God that he has upon your life. The scripture is replete with warnings about living to layer our lives with all things material at the expense of being distracted from living out God's actual will and purpose for our lives. 1 Timothy 6, James 4. Embrace the simple times and more passionately and prayerfully embrace the purpose for why you're here anyway. You know the influence the Lord has planned for you in the fullest if you do that. We've had this modeled for us here at Grace for many years by many people. Some with the Lord and some still with us. The Lord is breaking and will break the bread of their obedience, our obedience, until we see the Lord Jesus, if we learn to and be content and be intentional. Be content with what we have, and take that which God has gifted to you and His plan for the simplicity of your life, and be intentional to live His will for your life. There's so many examples among us of those who are not living lives of aestheticism of their own choosing. But they're living the lives God has granted to them, lives with simplicity so their focus can remain on doing the will of God that God has for them in as much of an undistracted way as possible. So I just want to ask you a question. Have you allowed life and the blessings of your way of life to distract you from worshiping and living with spiritual intention the way God would have for you to live. We have the privilege of speaking to many of you and walking many of you through the practical areas of life, and some of us get to the point where we're amazed that we have so much, and yet we can do so little for the Lord. in worship and service. I think we can learn from John the Baptist that your influence is not your influence, but it's God's influence given to you by what you have and what he's gifted you to do. To find contentment in that which he's gifted you, both materially and spiritually, is critical to understanding the joy that John the Baptist had, being the voice that God gave him to be. So a lot of practical applications to that. Our world is layered with opportunity and opulence, Just one of the 50,000 foot observations we can take from the life of John the Baptist is just simply that. Embrace the God-ordained simplicity that he may have ordained for your life and use that simplicity to live out your lives for heaven's sake. And be faithful. Be faithful in living out your spiritual gift unto the strengthening of this body and unto the furtherance of the gospel. And before we move on into the final two points of our outline that we started last week, I just want to ask you a question. Draw the circle around yourself in your own conscience. Are you content? And in that contentment, are you in your conscience clear that you are worshiping and serving the Lord with spiritual intentionality to the strengthening of this body and to the furtherance of the gospel. In your conscience, are you clear in those ways? Content and faithful. So last week we, we learned that John the Baptist's faithfulness in his preaching had caused quite a stir and that led to a passionate interrogation of his person and his purpose. And today we'll seek to learn from John's more full explanation of these questions posed to him and then we'll learn much from his exaltation of his Lord as we close this morning as well. By the way, if you just want to sit down and have coffee about what I mean by being content... And then living intentionally, I'd love to have that conversation. <laughs> I'd love to just share with you what the Lord's laid on our hearts and what the Lord's laid on many hearts here to make sure that we understand how to live content in this old, opulent world that we live in and not allowing it to be a distraction to our worship and our service to the Lord to his gospel purpose. We looked at the interrogation of John the Baptist last week, this machine gun, this carpet bombing of questions (laughs) that the angry religious ones were bringing his way. Do you remember some of those questions? If you don't, you can go back and check it out on our website. We're going to move on to John the Baptist's explanation to these religious leaders of some of their questions as the Apostle John records for us. I can remember my mom coming home one night. Uh, She had left my brother and I, John, uh, the task. This is before even my little brother, Joel, came along. She had left for us the ingredients and the task of making homemade pizza for the family. And she was bold enough to leave the house and actually believe that we could get it done. She came home a little bit earlier than we expected, and she happened upon quite a mess that we had made while attempting to make homemade pizza. You see, in our house, uh, boys just couldn't cleanly make anything, let alone homemade pizza, which unfortunately, for my mom's sake, required the use of flour and tomato stuff, of which it's absolutely impossible to have those ingredients available to two young men and have them embrace the maturity, not to to use them in in, in a way to uh, pick and fight with each other. So I don't know why she did that. I know we're told in the Scriptures that the Lord doesn't tempt us above we are able. He'll make a way to escape. There was no way to escape that temptation. (laughs) My mom came home and with the kitchen looking like we had an early snow. (laughs) And also a bit of a fight which caused us all to bleed, which we weren't. A standing at the threshold of our dining room in her kitchen. She just said, boys, what have you done? That was a question, and we deserve that question. And of course, I was very quick to say, John started it. <laughs> but someone had to finish it. That didn't work. It was not a sufficient answer or explanation to her interrogation, so she began to carpet-bomb us with many other questions with the beautiful culminating statement of which my mom knew she could always speak that would bring calm to any storm, which was, and she was left unsatisfied with our answers, I guess we'll just have to wait until dad comes home. And we knew what that meant. So, it's kind of funny. Looking back, there's nothing funny about that circumstance. When Dad came home, we got what we deserved. Um, And uh, I can remember a year later, helping my mom clean the kitchen and still finding specks of flour behind (laughs) things, little drops of tomato, whatever, uh, in places, and kind of being reminded back to uh, that event whatever it was Um, but you know what the pizza actually did taste pretty good (laughs) and uh that's become a thing for us that's good john the baptist in a spiritual sense had made quite a mess for the religious jews and they felt he had some explaining to do they ask in our text this morning why then are you baptizing if you're not the christ Elijah, nor the prophet. Four times in ten verses here that were read for us last week and that you've studied in the course of this week, you'll see the reference of John the Baptist's work of baptizing. Preaching and baptizing was his ministry description. He did both faithfully. And his explanation to this question was just quite simple. Verse 26, I baptize with water... But among you stands one whom you do not know. In one brief sentence of explanation, John the Baptist states his purpose and reason behind his purpose. He's saying, I'm baptizing those who have repented from their sin and placed their faith in the one standing among you that you unbelieving religious ones do not even know. And he was speaking spiritually, not explicitly To knowing him as a person he says i'm actually doing this in obedience to that person you don't know he's the one among us that you need to know as others that i've baptized have come to know here again john the baptist is answering and deflecting attention from himself to jesus in very very short order Maybe we all could learn from John the Baptist's explanation when we get asked questions about our faith and walk with God. We all might be able to say, well, there's one of superlative being an importance that I would like to tell you about if it's okay. And just give me a couple minutes to do so. Then John the Baptist humbly, humbly clarifies even further in verse 27 where he says, he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. Why is this clarification of explanation so important for us this morning? John the Baptist desired that the religious ones certainly knew that his ministry was never intended to bring attention to To himself, but exclusively to Christ. The unlatching of a sandal in this culture was done only by the servants or employees hired to take care of homes. And it was the most menial task of the culture of this day. And John the Baptist is saying, I'm not even worthy to do that for this one you need to know. I'm not even worthy to do the most menial servant's task of untying or loosing the buckle on this man's sandal. John the Baptist saw himself below the role of the lowest servant in the culture when it came to serving Christ before others. Is that the way you see yourself as you serve God's people here? What have you done to bring attention to yourself and away from Christ among us? Is there anything? And we can learn from John the Baptist. Truly, he lived with his words of explanation, his pledge of allegiance for his life, of Jesus must always increase and I must what? Decrease. Is that your pledge of allegiance? Is it mine? May Christ always be seen in me and not me. Ben quoted the words before we sang our first hymn this morning of verse 29 john having established himself in humble simple servanthood now further explains that this one standing among them they did not know was the lamb of god who has come to take away the sin of the world and he wants the religious ones to exclusively consider him because john the baptist says behold right on this second day this is the first words he speaks behold consider this lamb that's come to take away the sin of the world. This is a fascinating phrase that would ask you to hang on here for about five minutes as we go through the scriptures and explain how these religious ones would have heard this statement that we're so familiar with we could quote it in our sleep. The Jewish mind would have been thinking of how lambs were used in the Old Testament immediately because he used the word lamb. They knew John the Baptist was asking them to sincerely consider someone who was called a lamb and not a king. In the Old Testament, you slaughtered lambs and applied their blood for a temporary covering for sin so the judgment of God would pass over you. You remember the doorposts of the Israelites' homes in Egypt when the death angel came through? You remember isaiah 53 11, don't you where the prophet says as a result of the anguish of his soul he will see it and be satisfied god will see the anguish of christ's soul prophetically speaking of his sacrifice to come and by his knowledge the righteous one my servant will justify the many and he will bear their iniquities in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures, the word servant of Isaiah 53:11 is translated as lamb. Isaiah prophesied of the one who would come who would be a lamb that would take away the sins of the world. You can go back up just to verse 7 of Isaiah 53. And Isaiah again again describes the sacrificial process of a lamb that would come. When he writes of Jesus, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shears. So he did not open his mouth. You see, the Old Testament Jewish mind would have known Jeremiah eleven nineteen, where Jesus was called a lamb, but in that context, it was not said of that lamb that he would come to take away the sins of the world. The Jewish mind would remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. God did not provide a lamb in that story. It was a ram. But even though it was the foretelling of the coming ultimate sacrifice of Christ. Yes, there was the Old Testament scapegoat, in the Mosaic system. And that scapegoat was sent outside the community of the Old Testament Israelites, outside the camp, if you will, to symbolically carry the sins of the people of God, uh, the, the sins of the people of God away from the people of God. But that was a goat, it wasn't a lamb. From what we can see of Scripture, John the Baptist and Isaiah are the only two writers of Old Testament times, prophets of Old Testament times, that preached of Jesus being a human lamb that needed to be sacrificed in order for sins to be taken away. And John the Baptist adds here the sins of the whole world. So even to clarify even further with laser beam accuracy. He's telling unbelieving Jews who are looking for a king, I'm not the messianic one. I'm not the Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm nobody, but there's one standing among you. You don't know who is everything to everybody, not just a king to the Jews. He's a lamb led to slaughter for the sins of the whole world. WHAT A WONDERFUL EXPLANATION. (laughs) BUT AGAIN, IN UNBELIEVING RELIGIOUS TERMS, THOSE ARE FIGHTING WORDS, (laughs) AS THEY WOULD SAY IN THE OLD WEST. THE BOXING GLOVES DIDN'T COME OFF. THE BOXING GLOVES WERE LEFT ON AND THE STRINGS TIGHTENED AS THEY HUNKERED DOWN FOR A DEEPER FIGHT. It is good for us to recall that john the baptist is speaking directly to jewish unbelief he's pointing now to one human that has come as the final lamb that annuls unbelief's practice of regular ritualistic sacrifice in the temple he's also needed to remind jewish unbelief that this lamb was to be the savior again for all not just king for some And also recall, the Jewish world was ripe in their own mind to receive a king. We've mentioned that already as well. So in a very real sense, he's saying the anointed one has come now to be a lamb and not a king, but he is the one to be king in time. If you recall also, John the Baptist already explained the reasons for his baptism too. He's been baptizing people who have repented from sin that this land had come to die for and place their faith in this slam. and it's John the Baptist's baptism that is telling unbelief that they need to do the same thing no uncertain no need to be qualified terms you're sinners you need to repent you need to turn from your sin you need to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ period that's it You've either done that or you've not even if you intellectually believe that there is a Jesus to come in time or a Messiah to come in time and and you're wanting to worship him as king you can't do that until you surrender to him as Savior none of us can and by the way none of us will you can kick scream explain read get out of platform do all you want Take all the riches God's give to you and proclaim every message in the world that includes Jesus but adds to Jesus or takes away from Jesus, and you can try to preach your way and live your way to heaven, but you're going to split hell wide open. John the Baptist, crying out in the wilderness, says, This is the Lamb, and you, and you, and you, and you need to bow your knee to him. You are a filthy sinner. But he's come to be slaughtered for your filth. Look to him. That's how God has shown his love to you. Look to Jesus alone. And the sin of... The sin that's killing you that will entomb you can be forgiven. If you'll just look to him who is among you that you still don't know. I really believe there's some in the auditorium that still haven't done that. And some of you have been in church for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Because somehow, in the testimony that we live, we're still able to bring attention back to ourselves and not regularly deflect off of us to him. Maybe the preaching of John the Baptist is good for some in here today. The message of this spirit-controlled evangelist. The explanation is quite clear to be sure. John the Baptist's explanation leads to his words of exaltation of this one standing among them that they did not know. In verses 32 to verse 37... Yes, in John one twenty nine through the end of the chapter, there are some eight titles of exaltation written by the Apostle John of this Jesus, this Lamb. We'll look at those as we finish the rest of the chapter. But earlier, remember, he says John explains himself as the voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. John actually borrows a phrase there, known to the Roman culture of that time, that was used to putting on parades for emperors and conquerors. Hang with me here. Some time ago, we explained one of those Roman parades when we were preaching through Second Corinthians chapter two. You may remember it was called a triumph. Oft times in the occasion of the exaltation was unique enough or historic enough, new parade routes would actually be carved out of hillsides and a new road would, road would be built to pave the way for the emperor conqueror to come by and to be recognized. All of us have driven, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us have driven through cities and we might see Ronald Reagan Highway or if you're in Houston, George W. Bush Highway, and a number of cities, they might have an MLK Highway, right? Those roads would have been most likely named after these folks, but in biblical times, roads were actually made for and named after dignitaries and war heroes. John the Baptist says, I am the voice, and I am carving out through the mountains. I am carving out through the hillsides. You've been through West Virginia and Virginia. You know the West Virginia Turnpike. There had to be some mountains blown up for those roads to be made. You can see it. I can remember visiting my grandmother in West Virginia and hearing these explosions going off. Apocalyptic sounds. I said, Grandma, what is that? She goes, oh, they're just they're just working on the turnpike. They're doing what? What are they blowing up? Well, they're blowing up the mountains, Timmer, she called me. And by the way, that's a term of endearment. It's only reserved for her, so no one here call me Timmer. they <laughs> are just blowing up the mountains, Timmer. They're making way for all of us to get south. And John the Baptist says this is who he is. He's the one there to blow up the mountains, to trailblaze a new road so there's one person who could walk on it and one person that could be looked to and one person that could be praised. And his name's the Lamb. He's come for you and for me. John the Baptist knew this was the Lamb, the one who was coming after him but was before him statement of his eternality we looked at last week the one in verse 32 states whom john the baptist said i have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and that spirit has remained upon him these are words of exaltation and this would be the one who baptizes you in the holy spirit And John the Baptist would finally state in verse 34, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. In his preaching, John the Baptist gives us four very unique expressions of exaltation about this lamb that has come to take away your and my sin. This one was worth making a road into the world for all to see. John the Baptist says in the text that this road was to be built first. In verse 31, what a phrase of mercy for the people of Israel first. We know from chapter 1, he came unto his own and his own received him not. And now we're going to continue blowing up some hillsides and some mounds. We're going to continue paving this road so the rest of the world can hear as the Jews heard first. And many chose to not believe. So let's make a road for this lamb. Let's make straight our way for him because he's worthy as the eternal one of God. John the Baptist says that I've seen the spirit descending upon him as a dove out of heaven, and the Spirit remained upon him." This is an exalted message because it also identified and was empowered from heaven. Obviously, John writes last of all the gospel writers. So he's stating here that there was a time that he was there that actually saw this dove descending upon the lamb, and that's when God spoke from heaven saying this is my beloved son and in whom i'm well pleased and his own eyewitness account reminds us of old testament scriptures which speak of the holy spirit's ministry upon and through the life of jesus from his baptism through his public ministry jesus was the fulfillment of god pouring out his spirit on the coming davidic king not just there as the lamb but on the coming kingdom for all those who would surrender to him as Lord and Savior, Isaiah 11, says. And on the servant of the Lord, Isaiah 42 and verse 1, and on the prophet figure who announces the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, Isaiah 61, 1, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. That moment's the fulfillment of all this prophecy So for John the Baptist who knew the scriptures, it was no small wonder that when he saw the dove descending, he knew the Spirit of God was signifying and confirming that the long-awaited coming one had arrived. The Spirit of God descends and remains with this lamb Jesus. And we know from our overview of this gospel that John speaks more theologically of the Holy Spirit than any gospel writer beginning here. And Jesus is the one who never displeases the father. And so the spirit remains upon him. And John preaches that it would be Jesus that forever baptizes in the spirit because the spirit of God forever remains upon him. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and 26 tells us that there would come a time when God would pour out his spirit upon all his people. And it would be in Christ, the Holy Spirit would be poured out in the glorious age of the church, that's you and me, to come. And of course, this baptism of the Spirit would place all of us into Christ in a very similar fashion. The Holy Spirit would indwell us and aid us in our walk and ministry unto the Lord Jesus himself. And John the Baptist concludes in verse 34 using two perfect tense verbs. That means they were settled for him in time and therefore forever settled. He says, I have seen, number one, and I have testified, number two, both of these are a done deal for me and all those who entrust their souls to the Lamb, it's a done deal for you too. You will have no problem testifying that this is indeed the Son of God if you recognize how he is exalted from heaven. And thereby you receive your exaltation in him alone. I think it's just really beautiful. <laughs> oh, John takes just those few verses. I, I get a, I, if I'm a little louder than normal this morning, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to apologize for it. I'm just going to tell you it kind of gets me really excited. There's a lot of noisy, noisy, noisy places in this world. There are lots of people screaming for your attention. <laughs> I sat in the bottom of the ninth inning last night with two outs. (laughs) Way up in nosebleed seats on the third base side between third base and home plate with bases loaded. I mean the quintessential storybook ending over whatever this new team's name is in Cleveland. (laughs) Right? Whatever this baseball team is in Cleveland now, I sat there. And I saw thousands of people doing what? That the crack of the bat, ball up the middle. One run scored. Oh, my goodness. We're going to beat the Bronx Bombers. I mean, that guy slid across home plate, and it's like we won the World Series. I was like, dude, it's just a playoff game. But it was exciting. It was fun. People were focused and they scream they screamed words of exaltation in my 20-minute walk back to my car <laughs> horns honking people screaming people embracing how they didn't even know who in the blooming world they were <laughs> I mean people are taking selfies and videos with complete and total strangers This is fascinating for me. And I'm seeing all this, knowing what I'm gonna preach this morning, I'm thinking, it's okay to get loud about something really exclusive, especially, especially if it's of eternal and divine importance and consequence to everyone in this room. You must look to the Lamb. You must look to the lamb. You must look to the lamb and be saved. And I'm not even eating locusts for lunch. (laughs) I don't have any plans I'm putting on camel skins either. I love you guys. I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But there is not another lamb in human history that can save your soul. There is not another exclusive message that should ever be preached from this pulpit or represented in this place other than Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that's come to take away your sin and my sin. Let's blaze a road for him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are worthy to be worshiped. You are our creator. You alone have created the miracle in our hearts which we could not create for ourselves. You alone compel us by your grace to remember back to the moment where you touched our hearts and by the spirit of God, changed us, changed the way we live, changed the way we think, changed the way we act. And we're so sorry, Lord, for our sin that has even for a moment distracted people unto us and away from the Lamb. Lord, forgive us. Lord, among us, help us all to remember how wonderful you are to forgive us of all of our trespasses and all of our darknesses and all of our wickedness. Every one of us by ourselves has enough sin to slaughter you on a cross, let alone the sin of the whole world. Lord, we turn from that. We have placed our faith in you. You have changed us by the spirit of God. And it's your glory we preach. It's your name we exalt. And it's your road that we build so that all might see you and not us. In our homes, on our streets, at our work where we exercised, may Jesus increase as we decrease. And may that be our singular message that we're known for. In his glorious name we pray.